happen? Hello, can you hear us? I can hear you. Can you okay, hear me? Now okay, now everything. Technology yes. never works the first time. Let's go. <laughs> Beating the man. I've, I've worked from home for almost two years now, and every single day someone has issues coming off mute. Yeah. It's a thing. It's a big thing. Never. It's a mess, man. It's a mess. We've come so far, and yet we still have so far to go. You know, this this is going to be a deep cut for internet people, but the angry video game nerd. Oh sure, he he had a series called You Know It's Bullshit, uh, and he would talk about how one of my favorite episodes was the DVD about how we've made such great advances in technology with the DVD from the VHS, yet the DVD, if it got a minor scratch on it, just became unreadable and like the digital fast forward sucked and all that. Oh yeah, it's like that with video calls. (laughs) Yeah, yeah, seriously. We're here with Mason, the professor himself, Professor D&D on TikTok. He's professor of all D&D. Of all of it. Yeah. The whole thing. The whole um, thing. <laughs> in that case, in that case um, uh, what's the gem dragon do? Uh, gem dragons do like psionic type stuff and they're all right. new. All right. How do you grapple? Uh, athletics check against the opponent's athletics or acrobatics. What about for one D&D? How do you grapple? I don't know. I don't know. <laughs> this is the secret. I'm a fraud. Everyone <laughs> I'm smart. It's a lie. It's a deception. For, the, for those curious, the play test, it is now just simply an unarmed strike. And then you oh, can yeah. hit them. You can choose to grapple them. Yeah. Fun yeah. fact. Yeah. Fun fact. They saw the memes and then they made it simple. <laughs> and I'm sure people will complain about that. <laughs> yeah. Because in the process, like now, what what does athletics do? Right? Like nothing. It, it doesn't do grapple. No. Yeah. Uh, escaping is now a dexterity or strength saving throw against an escape DC, so it's not even a check anymore. Yeah. Yeah. There's probably some massaging there to be done, but, you know. Sure. It just begs the question, what are you doing, wizards? What are you doing? What are you doing? Other than creating one of the, the, the this product that has brought together millions of people and brought Seriously. joy and happiness and profit and creativity and storytelling anyway professor, other than that <laughs> other than that other than that they've done nothing really yeah. so for for the the podcast the podcast audience professor uh introduce yourself how however you see fit okay great um my name is mason or professor D, really whichever one you prefer um i am boy oh boy a dungeon master a dude um I've written a couple books, and now I've written a D&D book, and yeah, it's all a lot of fun. Wow. Author extraordinaire. We struggle to write a two-page uh, homebrew supplement every month and also write up the news <laughs> for the podcast, so most impressive. What, 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 what books did you write before D&D? Uh, before D&D, I have two science fiction uh, novels that I self-published. Uh, okay. One of which is called Rebellion, the Departure. The other one of which is called Rebellion, Prison Break. They are part of a series. Uh, t- theoretically, I am writing the third book right now. Theoretically? theoretically. Yeah. Yeah. Theoretically. All right. Spoil it right now. The whole thing? Yeah. yeah. Oh, man. What? Let's see. The The bad guy was good all along. I don't... Uh, that's That's like a classic... Yeah. Twist, right? That people oh, get frustrated by. Sure. We'll say, we'll say sure. that's the spoiler. Okay. 
<laughs> but now we're delving into D&D first now with your comprehensive collection of character classes. I love the alliteration. Thank you. I do too, though. It does make uh, promoting it on TikTok a little extra bit of spicy. I will say I I had to re-record the part where I said the title quite a few times. Um, <laughs> yeah, a lot of me too. Just I've, getting I've, to the first word and being like, mm, can't say the other words. Classic. <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah. How did you get into D anD D? We we asked um, this of everyone. That's a great question. I actually didn't get into it until I was about to go into college. Um, I'd had a friend, uh, attempt to introduce me before, uh, but the friend was a little sketchy and I was probably a little judgmental. Um, <laughs> now, and, now, were you rightfully judgmental or wrongly judgmental? It's a good question. And I'm still not sure I know the answer. Little I, column A, little column B. Yeah, I think so. I think so. Um, but yeah, so, uh, but right before I was about to go into college, I found out that a few of my friends had started playing and I had gotten intrigued. Um, and so I try, I, I joined them for like one or two sessions and, uh, they wouldn't start until like 11 PM and they would go for like five hours. Right. And it was like, I was like, guys, I can't. I can't, I can't do this. You I know, get, I get we're in our young twenties and can do anything, but like, shit, man, I got class in the morning. Yeah. 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 It's like, could we not do it any earlier? And they're like, well, we have our game night earlier. And I was like, well, can you do we... a game brunch or yeah, like a game? Or just like, could we do this on a night other than game night? Like, could that be possible? Um, but yeah, so I ended up dropping out of that and uh, didn't really have a chance to play for a while. Um, but then I got a couple of my roommates to watch this show, Harmon Quest, uh, Dan Harmon's uh, D&D animated TV show yeah. that you can't find like anywhere. Um, Rest and in peace. <laughs> it, was, it was a fun time. They thought it was a lot of fun. So convinced them to play D&D. Uh, that campaign w went insane and fell apart like three months in and I was hooked at that point. And mm -hmm. so I was like, okay, dungeon master got burned out because of how insane that campaign was. I'm going to go ahead and dungeon master. And I've been doing so for like five years since. So nice. nice. Yeah. Now we, I, I made, I made a small error here and I asked a serious question. We usually lead off with a patented Dungeon Bros food question. Ooh. Please. Now, I'm, I'm sure you're familiar with the great hot dog sandwich debate. Indeed. Yes. I, I won't bore you with the details of that right now. Well, to be fair, we have we have thoroughly discussed it and come to an absolute answer, which we will not reveal on this podcast. Not yet. Okay. Now, our, our dear friend, another person we interviewed, um, uh, Big Daddy Velvet. We call him Big Daddy Velvet. His name's Big Velvet Ralph. Yeah. He, yeah, he came in like fucking ready for hot. some. He came in hot for some food debates, and he he sent us a Q and A that we did a video on. And we kind of made a joke of it, but the sandwich implies the existence of the sand wizard, mm. or possibly the sand warlock as well. And 
if you ascribe by that logic, would the Sand Wizard and the Sand Warlock be hot dogs? Ooh, I think um, I'm going to say no. I'm going to say no. Um, Because I will say I am one that subscribes to the ideology that hot dogs are sandwiches. As we are, I ascribe to that personally as well. Mm. Mm, mm. A little more resistance on this side, but... I'm, I'm willing to accept. I'm willing to accept the the hot dog in the sandwich category on the menu. Yes. Good boy. Okay. Um, I would say maybe a calzone would be a sand wizard. Interesting. Interesting. Like a cloistered scholar encased on all sides. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> exactly. Exactly. It's still doing basically everything that a sandwich yeah. does, right? Yeah. yeah. <laughs> but in a different format. And I would say maybe like a pizza would be a sand warlock. Mm. The 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 sugar daddy of or the sugar baby of the food world is yes, is yes. the pizza. Also, the warlock just throwing itself out there, just the, so like the open-faced yeah. sandwich. If exactly, you will, would be the exactly right. The like warlock. none of the protection, none of the safety, all of the risk, all of the but risk, still a lot of the same components. A lot, lot of reward. A lot, lot of people love a uh, lot of pizza. reward. Lot of oh yeah, <laughs> a lot of pizza love a, a warlock. <laughs> that that was a that was nice. Not what I expected. Thank Very, you. Thank you. you. Took that one in stride. He is holding class, and here we are. <laughs> Listen, here I am to teach you both uh, about sandwiches and warlocks. Wow. What? I don't. I don't know how to transition from that. That was that was much more in depth than I was expecting, and I'm I'm very pleased. I mean, the the classic way of segues are weird. Segues are weird. The. <laughs> it's true. It it's is true. Now, your D and D book. Yes. Your D&D but, book. The comprehensive collection of character classes. Martially based classes for the most part. Yeah. Yeah. Now, what what led you to go on the class creation path instead of the subclass creation path? A much simpler and more widely accepted form of homebrew. I think that's a great question. The simple answer i mean the beginning was i was disap ah i was disappointed with the classes that currently existed in one particular aspect um and i wanted to improve that and i didn't feel like there was enough space in a subclass Mm -hmm. so this book really kind of began with the commander uh, which itself began with me feeling frustrated that fifth edition's classes do a good job of creating capable individuals, uh, but do very little to almost nothing to creating a capable group, uh, mm-hmm. if that makes sense. Yeah, um, absolutely. There's a, there's a lot of a lot of individually, I can do this thing. I can cast Fireball. Sure, the cleric can buff with uh, with some bless, but there's very you know uh, very little of how do my how does my group as an entirety face off against this thing but not as individuals necessarily and and one of the few instances where i feel like wizards of the coast does it well the battlemaster subclass i feel like that the fingerprints of battlemaster are all over that all yeah 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 i agree i agree um but i do also think it is very possible to make a battlemaster who is 
who can't help the group basically at all, right? Mm -hmm. Like you can make, you can pick up goading strike uh, and things to that effect that'll like affect enemies in a way that kind of facilitates group stuff. Uh, but I think you can also pick enough maneuvers that kind of don't do any of that. And you can still really be like basically just the individual as well. Um, and I wanted to make a class that no matter what you did, all of the pieces there were going to push you to making a better group. There was no way to kind of like escape that. It was the core fundamental of the class. Um, and so that's, that's where the commander came from. And I had so much fun with it that once it was done, I was like, I got to do this again. Um, <laughs> so yeah. All right. What about, what about the inheritor? That more of a, I feel I feel like a little, especially with the lycanthropy, a little blood huntery, but less self harm. <laughs> yeah, 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 less less self harm for sure. The uh, the um, inheritor actually began with D and D TikTok. Um, I think it was back in like October or November of last year. There was a big debate. Uh, I not big. Probably a very small debate, but it filled my feed for a day. And it was right when I was finishing the commander. And everyone was talking about what they would do to make the sorcerer better. Um, and so I was thinking about that. And a lot of those thoughts are what led to the inheritor. I think one of the things that I don't like very much about the sorcerer class is that it's basically a spellcaster class with just like the tiniest bit of like subclass flavoring in there uh mm -hmm. four or five levels you'll get like a little bit here and there to really kind of drive home where you get your power from uh but predominantly you're just kind of a spellcaster with fewer spells and some meta magic right um but i also feel like if you're a dragon if you're descended from a dragon you should also be able to just be like really durable and strong, right? Like, isn't that also just as much yeah. a part of like what it means to be a dragon? And so why is it that every descendant of this thing has to be a spellcaster? Why couldn't it also be that they're just like big, yoked, burly, um, and kind of like <laughs> dealing with the rage and fury of the dragon within them? And so that was kind of where it started and blew out from there. So I... When people ask me to simplify what the inheritor is, I would say the inheritor is a martial sorcerer. That's interesting. You you definitely I get what you're saying because you definitely see like the bard class has so many different subclasses that can change it into a roguelike thing or a a ranger like thing or a bard. But yeah, the sorcerer is very kind of one note. You mm -hmm. are that spellcaster with a layer of paint on top. I would say the only exception to that being the divine soul, simply because you could just get access to a completely different set of spells and you're still firmly in the spellcasting category. Absolutely. Yeah. And then the, the skirmisher, like the, this is what, how I interpret it is the kind of your fighter who does more. But, yes. Yeah. yeah. I would say that's true. Um, th honestly, the, the skirmisher was the least intrinsically motivated of the three, right? Like with the commander, I had a specific agenda with the inheritor. I had a specific goal, um, with the skirmisher. I was like, okay, these are, I'm definitely going to release a supplement. Three classes feels a lot better than two. Mm -hmm. What do we want to make a third class about? Um, and 
I had just wrapped up a campaign that I enjoyed quite a bit, and one of the players had been a monk. Um, and I think there's been a fair amount of like kind of uh, community discourse regarding what is and is not enjoyable about the monk. And I think people have different opinions on that. Um, rightfully so. Uh, but the thing that I find myself kind of often wishing from the monk was that it was easier to be mobile with it. You, you can be right. Like if you burn a key point, and do step of the wind you can be the most mobile thing in the game no That's very problem expensive cost just to be able to dash when the rogue can just do it for free whenever they want as a bonus action absolutely absolutely yeah so i i felt like you know the monk almost gets there the rogue has some assets to kind of get there but also if you dash then you're not hiding right and there's so much more of an incentive to hide and so my biggest thing was uh, movement. I feel like in fifth edition, movement basically means nothing, right? Mm -hmm. um, as long as kind of, you know, the radius of where people are, things like that. That's really all that matters. Um, but like your team's formation and things like that has little to no effect on anything. Um, and how much you move or don't move often uh, doesn't really matter a whole lot mechanically. And so I made the skirmisher with the thought in mind of, I want to make a class where movement matters most, um, whether it's your movement or enemy's movement. And so that is what the skirmisher uh, kind of was at its roots. Okay. All right. Uh, the next tab you've got there is multi-classing, just kind of I, mostly generic stuff. Do you see these classes as you would dip into these classes if you were multi-classing? Something like a, a warlock or even a fighter or a cleric are very dippable classes of just taking a level or two to get uh, a lot of abilities up front. Do you see these classes as really any interesting sort of... Uh, uh, synergies with other classes that already exist that really stood out to you? That's a great question. I think the synergies that stuck out to me the most uh, were Inheritor with Sorcerer, right? Mm -hmm. Because then you can kind of get a blend of like um, durability and spell casting, right? Um, as opposed to just one or the other. Um, the commander, I think, depending on what your subclass is, can pair really well with a fighter or with a ranger, um, either one of those. Um, particularly, like, if we're talking battle master fighter paired up with a man-at-arms um, mm -hmm. man commander, I think that would pair beautifully because then you have assets to be a really capable fighter on your own, but also assets to make the group kind of better as a whole. Um, the skirmisher, I was thinking... Um, I was thinking probably will pair pretty well with uh, the monk, particularly the grappler skirmisher. I think pairs really well with uh, with a monk multi class, and uh, the one that I'm most excited to see personally is the spawn of Oblex because uh, that one <laughs> that one pairing up with a monk I yeah. think would make a really cool Spider Man build uh, oh. because basically all the assets you get are unarmed attacks. 
And so yeah. you have these big like glob things that you can do to like stick people and pull them close to you and things like that. And they're all unarmed attacks. So I think that would really pair pretty well with a monk. Interesting. Sam is our resident ooze fan yes. in the household. <laughs> I, I do often uh, find myself gravitating towards the oozes for unexpected uses, such as quest givers. Um, That's great. That I, yep, sentient, sentient talking ooze. That that was not what I I was I was expecting us to get fucked up. Honestly, <laughs> yeah, that's that's not the situation you expect to be in, where you no. walk up, see an ooze, and it's like, "Hi guys, can you help?" Exactly. <laughs> Will you define friendship for me? Um, <laughs> why are you bringing that up? We haven't played that game in quite we haven't played the game in quite a few months, and uh, you need to be sad. Okay. Now, were there any ideas that kind of got lost on the cutting room floor here any things that you tried to fit in that like didn't quite mesh with any other ideas that you had stuff that's kind of like hit like you're keeping in the back of your mind for the future yeah great questions i mentioned the dragon earlier that was initially going to be one of the inheritor subclasses mm -hmm. but with fizz bands uh recently being released that was being released kind of like mid-process with the Inheritor, right? Mm -hmm. um, and also with, you know, the uh, Dragon Soul Sorcerer being kind of one of the classics. There's just so much like Dragon subclass content already out there uh, that I was just really worried about how hard it was going to be to pick through everything that already was and then make stuff that wasn't going to feel like just a full ripping of what was already there. Um, and so that was one that ended up on the cutting room floor. I do think probably at some point in the future, I'll come back with a supplement of like a bunch of other subclasses for the inheritor, just because I think that class like leaves itself open to a lot. I think probably there could be like a really good vampire inheritor, mm -hmm. um, maybe another, uh, divine soul inheritor, right? Right now we have descendant of divine authority, but there are plenty of gods that aren't authoritative, right? Mm. Um, and so I think there could probably be more like kind of descendants of divine trickery or things like that, where the subclass would be super different than, uh, than divine authority is. Um, that was divine trickery was another one that I was kind of waffling on, but it felt like releasing that alongside authority at the same time probably wouldn't give enough variety uh, to kind of the subclasses on release. And so we ended up going with the uh, um, the lineage of hunters instead. Okay. okay. You came up with a couple of interesting, unique mechanics uh, with these classes. Uh, we personally, me specifically, I'm obsessed with the hit dice on the player sheet, player, like my character sheet. I look at it all the time and I never fucking use it. And so yeah. our little supplement, our Hemocraft and blood magic thing was entirely around using uh, hit dice to fuel features. And we just have gone down the rabbit hole with that for yeah. a bunch of stuff. What feature did you think of and develop or something that you saw on a character sheet that you're like, I think I can use this in a unique and different way and then spun it for these classes that got you like the most jazzed to make them? That's a great question. Um, 
You know, Let, you, can, you can keep lying to us. Mm-hmm. We, we'll, we'll continue to accept the praise. It's okay. Listen, I gladly will. I'll just keep them coming. Um, oh, man, what was it? There were actually a couple points in here. I'm totally forgetting where it is. Um, that's what it was. Yeah. Um, there are a couple spots in here where hit die get used in new ways, which was mm-hmm. fun. Uh, because I totally agree. It's a built-in part of the game that never gets touched. The vast majority of campaigns don't do short rests anymore, right? Like, a lot of us are just kind of like one-encounter campaigns these days, particularly more story-focused ones, I think. Mm-hmm. Um, and so, because of that, we get little to no utility from mm-hmm. the hit dice as they're intended. So that was fun to kind of like... T- I also, one thing that I liked quite a bit about um, the Inheritor, I I don't know if this is so much um, kind of like a, an underused mechanic within the game as it is just a little mechanical reflection of kind of the narrative that I was shooting for. But I had a lot of fun pitting Constitution against Charisma saves mm. with that class. Uh, because, you know, Constitution deals so much with, like, your physicality and Charisma saves as they're currently defined in 5th edition, which, personally, I don't love this definition, but it is where we are and, you know, uh, may as well use it since we've got it. At this point, a lot of, like, Charisma saves focus on kind of raw um, force of will. Mm-hmm. And so it felt like this really cool way to kind of reflect the class on a mechanical level because the class's struggle is the struggle of an individual against like the legacy that they are a part of, both Mm. to use it and not to be overcome by it. And so playing Constitution, which I felt like kind of represented the like physical inheritance that you've been given versus uh, the Charisma Save, which reflects kind of the individual within struggling against it. I really loved kind of playing with those two fighting each other. That was that was enjoyable for me. Okay. So as as mentioned before, obviously we do a, we do quite a bit of homebrew around here. Um, what uh, kind of walk us through your process of of coming up with uh, your homebrew from you know uh, initiation from that first thought to how do you how do you go about it. Um, a to Z. Give us all your tips yep. so we can copy it. And they better be in alphabetical order, like you said, A to Z. Professor? Great. Teach. Great. Um, I would say the, the biggest thing that I start with, as I mentioned earlier, right? Like, I write books. I think the big thing that I start with is the narrative that I want the class to carry, right? Or the subclass or the magical item or whatever. What story do I want this to bring to people's table Um, And what, like, dramatic moments do I want to kind of, like, put into players or dungeon masters' hands, right? Um, And then I try to make mechanics based off of that story, if that makes sense. Mm -hmm. Um, And so, like, when I was working on the commander, kind of the question that I was asking myself is, what are, like, the tropes of the kind of hardened commander that we see in, like, fantasy and science fiction and things like that? Um, And the things that came to mind were, like, they're always giving orders, right? 
Um, they know who's best for the job and they help that person be best for the job. And then also like they have a lot of like tactical knowledge about where people should be. Right. Um, and so that kind of immediately uh, taught me that, um, okay, I'm going to need a, some kind of system in this class for direct orders, how uh, this character is going to deliver them, what do those things do, things like that. That's going to be like a really focal point of the class. And then also we're going to want a long list of tactics uh, that people can pick from um, as they kind of level up and things like that so that we can kind of have that highlighted as well. Um, so I would say that's the first step. And then the second step after I've got kind of like base class mechanics, um, is I ask myself like, okay, what are kind of like more niche tropes or more niche directions that we can keep take this kind of broader narrative and then figure out kind of what the subclasses are going to be based off of that. Right. So running with the commander again. Um, we've got Overwatch, Man-at-Arms, and um, the Frontline Artillerist. Um, I will say out of those three, the Frontline Artillerist is the one that has changed, bar none, the most, uh, mm -hmm. for sure. Um, Man-at-Arms and Overwatch basically are what they were at the beginning, just more fine-tuned. Um, but with the Man-at-Arms, I was thinking of that kind of like belligerent commander who's on the front lines, who by sheer force of presence um, is really good at what they do. Um, kind of... Um, um, is George Washington, I think, <laughs> regardless of like his personality yeah. or like his private life or any of that mm -hmm. stuff. There's a lot of documented, like recorded instances in history of that dude, like charging with no one else behind him when as everyone else was breaking ranks, right? As a military tactician and a leader of armies and soldiers, he, he was one of the best. He at, Leading the charge, he was calm under pressure. He gave them confidence to be able to perform as well. I, that's a very good analogy. I like your history, Professor. Very well done. Thank you. Thank you. Yeah, so I was just kind of thinking, like, who is the reckless SOB that will just, like, charge the enemy line uh, even if no one's there with them, right? And that is kind of where the man-at-arms came from, this very tanky, uh, very charisma-based subclass. Um, and as I was doing that, I also kind of came up with this idea of what if all the subclasses in here uh, specialized in different ability scores? Um, so the Man-at-Arms is a charisma-based subclass, uh, the Overwatch is wisdom-based, and the uh, Frontline Artillerist is intelligence-based. That way people can kind of like shake up uh, their builds with their commanders, which I thought would be fun. Um, Overwatch, meanwhile, is the sniper commander right because that's kind of also like a little bit of a trope a little bit of a figure they're kind of the person behind the line but they're the ones who has their head on such a swivel that they're able to like uh kind of coordinate shots um as opposed to be in the thick of it and so that was kind of the narrative i figured out there the original narrative with the frontline arcanist was i want uh someone to just constantly be like tinkering with equipment there was originally kind of this um building system i think pretty similar to the acts of lineage with the inheritor 
where they kind of had like uh, you can enchant um, all of your group's ammunition in this specific way. And if you do that at level 10, this will also happen to their ammunition and things like that. I was kind of focused on like, how can we make kind of like an enchanter artificer type thing, but with no spell casting was the original idea. Um, and there just wasn't enough room within a subclass to do it satisfyingly. And so instead we get the kind of coordinated uh, volley command and things like that. And that's more of the focus. Um, anyway, so to bring it together, I think first I figure out kind of the base narrative that I want from the class then the narratives that I want the mechanics of the subclasses to bring to bear. And then finally, lots of playtesting. Speaking of playtesting, you got a lot of playtesters out there. Yeah. Uh, what, what was that process like? Like, did you have like a session zero where you're just kind of going over how you feel like they're supposed to be played, how they're designed to be played? And then what kind of feedback did you get that was there any like major core change that was made after the playtesting phase? Or was it a lot of mostly just tweaks? Or did any interesting ideas come from the playtesters of wanting to do something with the mechanics you laid down? Great question. Um, complimenting you guys again. We're just going to keep it going. Um, hashtag I blast. would hashtag blast. Um, <laughs> hashtag a whole a whole lot changed during playtesting. Um, I'm gonna let me check and see really quick, but I believe each of the classes. Uh, we started with version one of each of these classes, and I think. Yeah. Um, okay, the commander ended up having five versions that it went through during the wow. course of testing. Um, and the skirmisher and inheritor had four versions that it went through. Um, so a whole lot changed uh, in, in the classes and subclasses. Um, to, the, to the point, as I was uh, kind of complimenting Sam on the MCDM shirt earlier, I do think like one of the things that I really like about MCDM and kind of uh, Matt Colville's like uh, uh, product, pro uh, no, production philosophy is I do think that like a lot of uh, products that I've interacted with in the TTRPG space maybe aren't the most tested, uh, maybe are kind of like a little raw when they hit the public. Um, which is totally fine, right? Like, this is a hobby. Um, it's okay. And and plenty of those products can kind of be shaped by the tables into, like, really good things um, if the tables kind of want to invest that time, right? Mm -hmm. um, but something that I saw and to a significantly lesser degree participated in with MCDM pr uh, products was... Uh, just kind of the sheer professionalism in playtesting. Really admired it, wanted to emulate it. Um, and so for that reason, I did my best to say very little about the goals with these classes to the playtesters before they got them. Uh, because I wanted to see if uh, my goals were coming across uh, to the playtesters without me having to advocate for them. Um, and also wanted to see like if there were really good ideas that they had that I hadn't thought of yet. Mm. Um, and I think um, 
I mean, that's kind of like a big thing with dungeon mastering too, right? Like if you play too much of your hand, I think you uh, block yourself to the really good ideas that some of your players might have at the table. Um, and so if you kind of like uh, bluff a little bit, sometimes they come up with really good things that can like bring really beautiful stuff into a game. And I think it was the same case here with the playtesters. Um, I think also just like uh, I did have a lot of playtesters and people that contributed to this. Um, but also I, I think like kind of a handful of them showed up really consistently, right? Um, and I think over time, I kind of learned a little bit about what to expect from each playtester, uh, kind of like what each one brought to the table a little bit. Um, and that was, uh, that was also super helpful. Um, there were a few of them that were just like really big in the weeds mechanics, just nuts. And then there were other ones that were like, uh, kind of more your classic player who wants to show up at the table, make a character and then see how it plays. Right. And I think both of those are really valuable because the former will make it so that your game's never busted. Uh, but then the latter, uh, or, or if it is, they'll point it out to you. There was one point where, um, the first time that we play tested the spawn of Oblex, um, two of the playtesters, I believe, participated for the first time. And they were some of the most like mechanically savvy playtesters in the group. Um, Dromac and uh, Crow of Ivory um, are the two of them. I think Crow of Ivory was credited under uh, her real name, which I'm forgetting off of the top of my head. Um, but whatever the case, uh, they had just hacked uh, the spawn of Oblex Inheritor. They'd figured out a big flaw in there. Um, and it was a high-level play test because I think um, I think high-level play can be balanced. I think we've just kind of given up on it as a, as a community a little bit. Um, and I wanted to try and accomplish that. Um, and yeah, she in one round did just some ungodly amount of damage um and the whole kind of upper level stuff with the in, with the spawn of oblex i was immediately like okay we've got to rebuild like all of that because that's not going to work um jake waka shout out to jake waka from DD tiktok as well he went through the commander first and he basically looked at the uh, frontline artillerist and was like, man, there's not enough space in here. This is going to be pretty freaking disappointing. Look at how far out these level ups for the subclass are. Look how much you have to play before your subclass really pays off. Mm -hmm. um, and he was totally right. And so uh, then I was able to kind of go in and be like, okay, what, what can we do with this? So I would say a lot, a lot changed during playtesting. Playtesting was really big. So I have a, I have a little, I want to get into the weeds of like actually mechanically playtesting. Are you assigning your playtesters specific subclasses and then sticking with it through multiple versions? Do you, were you trying to do playtest at level like four or five, then a playtest at eight and progressively level up the characters? Were you... Were you having a bunch of skirmishers all at once, or were you spreading it out between your three classes, throwing in a couple normal D&D classes? Like, what is the specific mechanics? I assume it's mostly boss rushing one-shots, or like yeah, just yeah. classic dungeon crawls. 
yeah, a whole lot of basically entirely combat focused play tests, mm -hmm. right? Mm -hmm. uh, because when it when it comes to play testing, a lot of my concern was is this going to like ruin anyone's game? And I think the vast majority of opportunities that we see that happen in fifth edition specifically are in combat. Um, and so it was it was almost entirely um, combat focused, particularly because I did try to run like an entire one shot where like the first half was very RP heavy and the second half was very combat heavy. Um, and by the time we got to the combat where I kind of needed anybody, everybody at their sharpest so that they could kind of grasp the mechanics that they were playing with, uh, it was like three, four hours, right? Yeah. And so a bunch of people were struggling with these new classes, getting burnt out, things like that. Um, a lot of the kind of like fun times that we were having at the start kind of felt like they were starting to fade a bit. Um, and that was a pretty big learning experience, right? Um, and so after that, a lot of them were just, we're shooting straight into the fight, straight into the fight, not really doing kind of any story stuff here, um, which was actually, I did also in the middle of my playtesting for this, I got to play as a playtester for MCDM on one of their products. Mm. Um, and I, I did that partly so that I could kind of like see how they were running it see if there were ways that I was coming up short. Um, and that was something that I saw in them as, as well. And so I was, uh, I felt relieved because I'd been kind of worried, like, am I screwing up by, mm. by approaching it in this way? Uh, mm. so that's one thing. Um, I will also say to answer another question, I did, um, I was pretty hands-off with the character creation for the one-shots. I largely kind of like let people make what they wanted to make because I uh, generally believe that like if they're passionate about the thing that they're making, they're probably going to be paying more attention, which will also probably lead to them noticing things that I'm not noticing. Um, and so I did my best not to be like, here is what you're going to do. Here's what you're going to do. Here's what you're going to do. Um, but then also people did kind of like naturally gravitate towards certain things as a result of that. And so there would be times where I would be like, hey, guys, we're going to do another play test one shot this weekend, but specifically only play skirmishers, not enough skirmishers are getting played, right? Mm -hmm. um, and so then... Did that kind of inform you that maybe there was something about the skirmisher that needed to be tweaked because it wasn't grabbing the attention of them to want to play test in the first place? I think that's a great question. It the playtest itself I think informed me I was worried that that might be the case and then we were running the playtest and I was like okay I think for like a few of the people here maybe that's the case um but I think also from what I'm gathering it looks like maybe these like two or three mechanics should be revisited and that will make it more of like a gripping class and also kind of brought home to me, okay, this playtester, this playtester, this playtester, just don't really vibe with kind of the general atmosphere of this class. Mm -hmm. And so it's maybe not on the class and maybe just more like these playtesters like the inheritor more or these okay. playtesters like the commander more. Um, but yeah. Um, also, we did do very wide-ranging levels for the different playtests. Uh, we had a lot of like mid-range levels around 5th uh, level to 10th level. Uh, also, like I did, I think, a 
first level play test and um some of the feedback that i got from one of the players is we have basically no features very little differentiates us from base classes at level one this probably isn't the most efficient use of your time which mm -hmm. was excellent feedback and from that point on i think the lowest level we did was fifth level um just because i was like this way we have enough features um that we're kind of getting bang for our buck here uh but it's also low enough level that we're not gods right um right. but then also uh a um a play tester Jarl Jason from D and D TikTok ran a level twenty um play test uh one shot which was super informative and extremely helpful um helped me figure out that um the gorilla archer skirmisher their volley that they have was just way too strong um it basically one shotted a uh ancient white dragon at the start of the encounter. <laughs> like it got an ancient yeah yeah i believe it was ancient i believe it was ancient i um, i i'm i'm sorry to just say this but like how did you not catch that beforehand no listen <laughs> You're right. I should have. I should have. But I just, you're running, particularly with this playtest, right? Like, I was the lone mm. designer for three classes. There were so many different yeah. things that I was running numbers for, right? And you get in the um, weeds and you, stuff, gets, stuff gets through. I will say that yeah. is a benefit of, of having the fact that we yeah. do a lot of homebrew together is is when we were doing our blood magic supplement we went back and forth on some of the features especially like the barbarian like their first level feature or their third the level bar feature. the barbarian changed almost completely from when it first got put onto digital paper and when we released it and and that mm -hmm. was only because we went back and forth on it mm -hmm. and so i can definitely yeah. see yeah definitely see how uh those weeds those weeds will blind you yeah 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 they really get in the way uh, and once it happened i was like oh my gosh like how how did we get here <laughs> how did i let this, <laughs> yeah how did this happen um so you're 100 right to ask uh but yeah i i think that was kind of largely the reason so i'm super grateful for that one was 18th level so we got up there a couple different times um yeah 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 it was a lot of fun to play such a kind of spectrum of the game so so looking forward with uh with what you've learned from all this um i guess what what would be your how would you approach it differently for your for your next your next large output of homebrew um what kind what kind of steps would you take differently what might you avoid avoid all entire entire what might you avoid avoid entirely or implement at first um another solid question um everyone needs the filler the filler comments to gather their thoughts that's totally yeah. normal yeah <laughs> totally absolutely normal. absolutely um Let's see. I think a few kind of takeaways that I had. I think this was really fun to kind of like flex some kind of like design muscle a little bit for for the first time, right? Like it was it was really enjoyable to do that. Um, I think very much kind of like this supplement was me um, 
kind of wandering into tabletop role-playing design and being like, ooh, this seems fun, right? Mm-hmm. Um, but I do think as a result of that, like these classes maybe don't have a cohesive, these classes definitely don't have cohesive flavor between the three of them. Mm-hmm. Uh, when it came time to kind of like package the whole thing and ship it and advertise it, I was like, what in the world do I say to people to make it sound like these three fit in the same product? Mm-hmm. Uh, because it did feel really differently. Um, and we, I think the kind of like end advertising that we came to where it was like, these are the martial classes that fill the holes that you might be finding in your martial classes right now. I feel pretty happy about where we landed on that, but it's very design focused again. Right. And if your player, if your players are looking for something flavor specific, uh, that might not be the most helpful kind of like marketing. Does that make sense? Yeah. Um, and so I think kind of for the future, um, I am working on a few things right now. Uh, I did volunteer to help out with uh, the kind of collaborative source book uh, that the blind GM um, talked about making a bit ago. Um, and I don't believe, I, I believe it's fine that I say that I'm making a class for that. I don't believe that there's like any super secret things about that. We're going we're gonna to tell the internet. We're spoiling. <laughs> Please do. Please do. Um <laughs> You know, so, if, you need any, if you if you guys end up needing any help with like a weird like blood magic thing, you know, sure or anything sure. else, or anything Listen, else. I'll, uh, I'll <laughs> relay I'll relay it on. I'm, um, I'm more than happy to to shill ourselves out to anyone, to get it out, including there. other creators. <laughs> great, 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 great. Um, I will do my best to shill you guys as well. Oh, uh, yeah, sure thing. Um, but yeah, so I'm doing that right now, which is another product that's probably going to be very like, as far as kind of, uh, flavor is concerned, mm-hmm. very kind of separate. It seems like a lot of people have a lot of really cool ideas that are also very different from each other in flavor. Um, but the next product that I think I'm going to do on my own, I think I'll probably release like a class or two, um, and then maybe like a few subclasses and some like mechanics or things like that, that all focus on the same thing. Mm-hmm. I think that's kind of like a takeaway for me. Um, just because I feel like for one thing that'll make it really easy to kind of build a robust system that all of those things can work with, um, as opposed to kind of like building smaller systems, uh, for separate things, if that makes sense. Um, so yeah, I think I think maybe that was my big takeaway was kind of like have a core uh kind of thing and then build other things out of it. Uh I think that's maybe more fast and efficient for the future. Which I think you guys do a great job of exemplifying with your uh I mean, craft. I mean, <laughs> I don't know about that. But <laughs> I mean, if you're going to compliment us, I mean <laughs> I'll keep them coming. I'll keep them coming, guys. Thank you. Now, one last thing. Let's get away from design. We've talked. We've talked for like forty-five minutes about design. Sure. You've published many things. Have any of those been physical releases? Um, both of my books are physical releases. Uh, they can be bought on Amazon as uh, paperback novels. Now, as for other people wanting to do homebrew, 
and need to self-publish because they don't have the draw to get a publisher, what would you recommend they take for steps to get it digitally published and physically published? That's a great question. I don't know as much about physical publication in the TTRPG space. I will say that because the stuff that I published physically, I did through Kindle Direct Publishing, which mm-hmm. is not going to be helpful for this, right? <laughs> um, but what I will say as far as just kind of publishing in general, um, I am by no means the most experienced on this front, but in the conversations that I've had with people who are more experienced than I am kind of leading up to this project, um, the general kind of advice that I would give is if your product is building off of some part of D&D that is not, uh, you know, the SRD is not kind of like available to the public, um, you're gonna shoehorn yourself into the Dungeon Masters Guild, mm-hmm. um, which isn't the worst thing, but it does come with its own unique contractual riders, right? Uh, there are some kind of like specific parts about publishing with the Dungeon Masters Guild that won't factor in if, for example, you published with uh, Drive Through RPG, um, which is, you know, basically the uh, non-Wizards of the Coast counterpart to the mm-hmm. website. The, right? the more open source, if you will. Yeah, absolutely, yeah. Um, from what I also gather, it seems like maybe you get a little bit more royalties uh, going through drive through as opposed mm-hmm. to you going do. through DM's Guild. Yeah. Um, so what I would say is like if you're... Um, if your product relies on the popularity of like D and D heavily, if your uh, product relies a lot on um, aspects of D and D that aren't available in the SRD, then you're probably basically shoehorning yourself into the Dungeon Masters Guild, which isn't the worst thing in the world, but it's a good mm-hmm. thing to be aware of. Um, and if you don't want to do that, don't make that product. Right? Like, do mm-hmm. something else. Um, there was a point on where we were going to publish this, um, if it was going to be Dungeon Masters Guild, if it was going to be drive through RPG, there was also part of me that really liked the idea of doing a Kickstarter just because of how popular Kickstarter is right now. Right. Um, so kind of waffled on a couple different options. Um, and in the midst of that, the spawn of Oblex was a big question mark for me, right? Mm. Uh, because it is a subclass that very much uh, draws from the narrative of the Oblex, which is an exclusive fifth edition product that mm. is not uh, like nowhere in in what is available to the public, right? And so um, if, if we didn't go DM's guild, uh, I'd need to somehow convey to people that it was an Oblex without saying it was an Oblex, right? I was, that was kind of like a whole uh, hoop that I was kind of trying to figure out how to jump through. Mm-hmm. Um, and in the end, we went with Dungeon Master's Guild, and that simplified things a whole lot. Yeah. Um, so that's kind of... Um, those are some ramblings that maybe you were... <laughs> For your question, um, I think we got it. I think we got it. Yeah, I think maybe one last really brief thought to that point is also like, what are your collaborators familiar with? 
right? I brought on a formatting guy and an editor to help out with this. And I think it largely is as good as it is because of them. It would not look nearly as good. It was not, it would not read as good, I think, without their input. Um, and our formatting guy also was really familiar with the process of publishing on Dungeon Masters Guild, which made that very intimidating part of things a lot less intimidating. Mm -hmm. um, so if you have people close to you who are familiar with one or the other, honestly, that's probably, that should be the biggest pull to one or the other, because then you're kind of able to get the help that you need. All right. Well, Mason, thank you. Professor. 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 Thank you very much. This was this was an absolute joy. Very insightful. Yes. Yeah, and uh, we didn't have to talk a whole lot. That was great. It was very easy for us. <laughs> Thank you guys. Thanks for letting me be here. I hope I didn't talk too much. I oh, it, felt a little self conscious. It's, uh, it's no, perfect. Absolutely, it's perfect. absolutely, absolutely. What we what we brought you here to do. Yes. Great. Uh, this, where can where can people find you online, and where can they go to find your wonderful? All right. Let's see comprehensive collection of character classes uh you can find the professor's comprehensive collection of character classes on the dungeon masters guild um you can also find me probably most easily on tiktok for the moment uh my handle on there is at professor dnd very simple very straightforward mm -hmm. um if you are inclined to find me elsewhere however uh, you can go ahead and mosey on over to uh, MrMasonAllen.com. That is M-R, Mason, M-A-S-O-N, Allen, A-L-L-A-N.com. That is my website, both for book stuff and just uh, internet stuff. So yes. we, all, we all need to internet from time to time. And if people want to hunt you for sport, uh, what's the best way to get, in, get a hold of you for that? Um, find me in the middle of the month when laundry is running the lowest. I will probably be the stinkiest then, and your dogs will have the easiest time tracking me through the river. That's very good. That's a good, yeah. That's, that's actually really good advice I need to make. Jester, what about cats? Cats, cats can track smell. Sure. Do they want to? Probably not. <laughs> she'll want to hunt. I don't know what she'll do when she finds us. Dodie, write that down. Our, our robot vacuum we named Dodie. <laughs> nice, nice, nice. Um, thank you very, again very much for joining us. If if you are watching this, uh, be sure to like it. If you're watching it on YouTube, you can also watch it on Google, Spotify, Apple Podcasts, services around the globe. Be sure to rate us there. That, that's always helpful. Um, we're not going to go through the whole rigmarole. But again, thank you very much. And until next time, peace out. All right.